It really does take all many minds to come together to understand and to properly address privacy. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Sustainable Compliance. I'm your host, Jakob Larsen. Hello, Vancouver, Washington. Yes. Hello, Vancouver, Washington, indeed. Yes, which is just right outside of Portland, Oregon. Hello, Deborah Farber. I'll just introduce you to the audience. A privacy tech advisor. Thank you. Evangelist when it comes to privacy innovation. And you've held positions with Amazon Prime Video, AWS, Big ID, Visa, Trustark, and IBM. Impressive. You are the uh, host of uh, the podcast with a brilliant name, The Shifting Privacy Left Podcast. It's a metaphor that makes me jealous and envious because I wanted to come up with that. (laughs) Oh, beat you to it. Okay, go ahead. So I reached out to you because I wanted to learn more about just that, Shifting Privacy Left. So tell me, Deborah, what is Shifting Privacy Left? So, so shifting privacy left means embedding privacy by design into the engineering, DevOps, and the product development processes mm-hmm. before code or products are ever shipped. Mm-hmm. And it's a conscious effort uh, to embed certain practices earlier in the development life cycle. Mm-hmm. And then when we talk about shifting left, we're talking about left being the start of a product life cycle and the right being the end of it. Yes. And this is analogous to shifting left in security, which is where this has been adopted from. I didn't come up with the concept of shifting <laughs> left, but I did see how helpful it was in the security industry to move security from being on the outside of business and more advisory to the business or trying to like lock down data after it's already been collected and shifting into the earliest stages in the development life cycle uh, as part of dev DevSecOps, which has become a, a pretty huge space. Mm-hmm. And by moving steps like testing and security to the development stage, then there are uh, far fewer mistakes that can pass through to the advanced stages of the software development life cycle. Yeah. And it just, it, it's who'd be against shifting left. It's figuring out problems earlier, but if that's from a company perspective, mm-hmm. what you're really doing is you're preventing privacy harms from forming that can actually harm you know, people down the road. Because that's really what privacy is about people, not necessarily compliance. Mm-hmm. So it's basically about getting privacy considerations in earlier in the process. Absolutely. I think that privacy requirements should be table stakes. They should be functional product requirements, not something, oh, here's a requirement from legal (laughs) or here's a requirement from the privacy team. Mm. This should be part of the product development lifecycle. And then developers need to understand what they need to test to and what is and is not okay at the beginning, like before you collect. Yeah. Before you ever collect data when you're designing the systems to begin with. So when you talk about Shifting privacy left, is it mostly in the development process or or could it also be processes and procedures in companies or is it primarily aimed at developers? I think it's all of that. It's also threat modeling, right? For Mm. privacy. And I had, I have a great conversation with Kim Wutz two episodes ago on, on my program, Shifting Privacy Left podcast, just talking about like the Linden model for Mm. 
identifying and addressing threats and the threat trees and how to like nobody, no privacy consultant that's looking at DSARS and doing the regular kind of business of consulting for privacy and data protection stuff is going, you have to understand, you can't just move from that space into I'm now going to be looking at code or mm. designing a process for something super technical like architecture. Like you have to, I'm not saying you can't go from that, that interest into deeper tech kind of scenario. It's my, that's what I'm doing myself. My whole career is a shift mm. left from becoming a, a lawyer, never practicing, and then slowly moving more into more the technical side of things. Uh, yeah. So I feel like left is just closer to code and code development. And then it's just more of the, the finished product that you put out in the marketplace. Um, I've got the original question. <laughs> I hope I did. <laughs> no, it whether it's primarily aimed at developers or yeah. if this could also yeah. be a concept in developing services and processes. It definitely is part of, you need to systemize this into organizations. Mm. So there, there's definitely like, this is a cultural shift because we would be requiring developers and architects and product managers and data scientists to better understand their obligations, their responsibilities for privacy within their job roles, right? So part of that is not just training them on that. It's getting mm. like their job roles updated to include this in it. Yeah. It's getting it, getting the whole organization on board of that we're, they're, you're adding and enhancing for the customers that you're supposed to obsess over their privacy by it's not just throwing more on people's plates for no reason, that there's mm. a real business imperative to gain trust from consumers to even maybe minimize data as well. So I think a lot of these strategies, these privacy by design strategies are uh, are part of the process. So I mm. do think there's an overlap with privacy by design and privacy engineering mm -hmm. in the shift left space. And that's part of why it's so much fun. I'm not an engineer, but I'm obsessed <laughs> with this whole like shifting left, right? I don't write code. I don't read code. But to me, this is all about processes and how can we not only get behavioral change, because quite honestly, that's like the hardest thing to do. So I honestly think that's going to come from engineers who could push it left in their own field and data scientists who yeah. could go, hey, let's use this privacy enhancing technology to share data uh, that and unlock the value of the data that we have that we used to just bludgeon with encryption and call secure. Now we have now we can actually maybe share data in a privacy preserving way. And so these are all like value adds to, to a business. And I think that by shifting left, we could, again, by making privacy requirements, functional product requirements and table stakes, that we can demonstrate that this is really not an add-on, right? Mm. This is absolutely something that's uh, part of your profit section of the, the PNL profit and loss tables. This is not uh, a cost center. In fact, if my, the biggest thing that I, the most compelling thing that I see out there is if you address privacy earlier on, mm -hmm. even from a compliance standpoint, you're going to have less of a paper chase. If you minimize data on the left side, then yeah. there's not data, that data to provide in a DSAR, right? There are definite strategies to being able to address privacy earlier on and think about the long term of that data life cycle, but also the product life cycle. And then that way, you're, like I said, data minimization is a perfect example there. It used to be big data, collect everything that you can, mindset, figure out a use for it later, which was you know, really hard to, as privacy experts, for us to get our, I don't know, to corral an organization around you got to understand why you got to have a purpose. You got to have a legitimate, sorry, a legal way to process this. And so that's my train of thought. So it has potential to make it 
easier to do compliance at a later stage. Process. Much easier. Yeah. Yeah. If you're thinking about how you're going to structure data on the left side, mm -hmm. then back when you want to call, retrieve that data for whatever purpose, whether it's to yeah. access it and provide it to someone, to delete it, to retain it, you have a mechanism to do so, right? So it's really planting the seeds of what is necessary for compliance and also, for, I'd say, rights fulfillment, just respect, accountability, all of these things. You can't protect data yeah. with paper. Mm. Like contracts, policies, procedures alone are just the tip of the iceberg. It's not actually effectuating anything with the data. So that's where privacy by design strategies coupled with privacy engineering and yeah. privacy architecture, and that's all around strategy, right? That is the really exciting part to me about shifting privacy left. Uh, on my yeah. show, I, I bring on people that who could talk about these concepts who are smarter than I am on all of these things, whether it's a, a specific privacy enhancing technology, how it's deployed, or a researcher in, you know, I really want to help bridge the gap between the researchers in the lab that are coming up with some really interesting technology, and then the practitioners in the field, the, the engineers who have problems that need solving, but maybe they're typically what I'm seeing is researchers are at conferences with other researchers and commercial folks are going to more corporate conferences and they're not really having that knowledge share. So wherever I could be helpful to, to share that knowledge, it's been really fun oh, that's great. To, to get that info out there. You talked about it overlapping privacy by design. And what I hear a lot of people saying is that privacy, privacy by design is what will save us all. How is it different from privacy by design? Yeah, so I think... Privacy by design is more of the strategy mm. and then the the privacy engineering is really more around system design. Mm -hmm. So you can combine those and then it's like the how. So how are you going to actually effectuate those those design choices is, is, is mostly in the engineering. So whether yeah. that's going to be through code or it's going to be through hardware or some, something, it's going to be something where it requires a level of system design knowledge. And, and that's great. Mm -hmm. I think this is where the overlap becomes really, yeah. really handy. So you don't have to have one role to everything, which unfortunately the since it's such a nascent space, whenever you mm. see privacy engineers being advertised for, they look like unicorns, like here's a person who can do everything, right? I think we'll see it go the way that security did and be a little more like, oh, application privacy and product privacy, and we'll get more segmented like that. Dev privops. What is shifting privacy left in opposition to? Ooh, status quo. Status quo. Yeah. I mean, I see the status quo as like development is just developing based on product requirements. They're going to market and they have like fail fast mindset, agile. You want to move quickly. And then you have these sprints. Depends on to what degree that how the engineering teams are being run these days. Sure. But the goal is to keep moving and in an agile fashion. And um, if uh, the, the lack of knowledge, uh, right now, uh, like develop, if you ask the de uh, someone who's coding up, like, do you, are you responsible for privacy? Are you going to be like, no, I'm coding this up. And then the security team is going to pen test it and the legal's gonna, privacy legal or, or the privacy team is going to do a risk review and mm -hmm. I'm not responsible for it. So they don't necessarily know that there's certain privacy patterns or, or anti-patterns to avoid. And there's a lot to learn. And so what I think we really need to do is upskill the current workforce, mm -hmm. not to just be like, you have these new responsibilities, you know, scary, whatever, but really like, 
it's an opportunity. It's really going to delight customers. It's going to be value add. And hey, here's an opportunity to also learn, grow into the the industry of privacy. And and it's really something people can get behind. I can't. No one's going to be like, no, I want to be a. I want to be mean. I was going to say, I don't know what kind of words I can use on your show, but I, I, I'm going to be you a- You can use um, any words on my show. <laughs> you can be an app. It's, I, anyway, I think privacy is so important, so paramount today mm. with just coming from the market, not even coming from talking GDPR and, and people wanting to avoid fines. I don't even talk about fines anymore. That's not what's moving privacy. Mm. In my opinion, I think it's, the, it's market driven. People are really nervous about- specifically big tech with just having all this power to track us and surveil us, siphon money from us, that kind of thing. So mm. trust, you know, you're more hearing it when these movements of um, decentralization and, and, and um, you know, in this case, shift left, but, but, but there's, I don't think there's really an opposition. This is why it's fun. Yeah. I, it's fun to champion for shifting privacy left because there's really no reason not to. The hardest part is making the business case doing the work of making mm-hmm. the business case with any particular business as to why they should invest probably a ton of money into privacy, strategic privacy by design, privacy mm-hmm. engineering, and, and a shift left function, but, and how it's going to add so much value, how you're going to save so much money. I really do think it sells itself, but the it's just internal politics is goes a and lot slower than we'd like at times. What is the business case? Why should businesses yeah. invest in this? Yeah, again, I think you could use privacy as a a true brand positive. It, it's definitely the goodwill of the brand. It adds to it. Mm. People are looking for trust these days, right? They don't know where to go. Even in the world of misinformation, that's just making people more uncertain about things. They look for places they can trust and their it's their data that they are worried about being exploited, yeah. misused or used against them for somehow. And so there's one of just that's customer demand. Two, I'd say that you invest in upfront and then you're going to avoid a huge compliance burden mm-hmm. on the back end, especially if you're a large company that has an army of privacy consultants, yeah. uh, you know, working on your one, you know, one trust surveys and, you know, all this man powered kind of, you know, getting questions and trying to figure stuff out. The more you can automate upfront with tech that like is built in and has visibility into your systems about how data is being used and so actionable and and, uh, advice that you can then take within the business. That's all part of this shift left mindset. Now, I would say that privacy engineers are cutting and and, and, um, even just people who outside of the normal privacy pro Mm -hmm. space have come into it preparing for GDPR. And a lot of engineers have to have been developing internal systems for uh, effectuating uh, uh, rights, right? And uh, deletion requests and stuff like that. Now those systems, I worked on at Prime Video at Amazon at a time when we I had to <laughs> oversee that for Prime Video and get people hooked up to our homegrown systems. And I'll tell you, it is, <laughs> it's a bear. Yeah. It is a lot of time and just to coordinate people onboarding to these systems, figuring out where the data is. What I was trying to say is, it's not just about compliance and effectuating mm. these rights. It, when I, what I saw was like, this is just, it was a never ending problem of just kind of like being hooked up to these systems. All that happened was we, we would just get more and more DSARs, right? Like the point is you want to reduce the number of DSARs. So you're reducing the compliance burden and all the expensive people that you're hiring to, to manage 
that because at this point, like DSARs and stuff are not part of the product you're selling or service you're selling. It, it literally is just a compliance requirement if from the company's perspective. If instead, let's say you gave that, you're, you thought a little more and said, hey, what if we gave them some sort of API into this system that they can pull their own data and they, what, whatever it is you think in these terms of, of how can I prevent the compliance problem, but still achieve our goals? That, then I just think you're, you're thinking smarter. It, it, it's the, the amount of money you'd save is astronomical. Yeah. It's it yeah. just, someone needs to be in a position to be able to make those arguments. And I think the tough part is that privacy professionals are generally, our teams are understaffed. It's gotten better over the years, but they're still understaffed. And it's not like we have the luxury of having people who can work on strategy like that full time. Because mm. if we did, I'd be in that role. And right now, I mean, <laughs> so I, that's why I do the work I do is because the yeah. right role for me is that. And that doesn't exist really in, in organizations. Not to make the business case, but to to create so, the strategy. So, so do you see companies and organizations out there who are doing it? None come to mind specifically. <laughs> I feel like there are a few privacy tech companies that are like smart because it's like, well, this is the market we're going into. We want to lead the way. We want to show like, this is how privacy by design is done. This is yeah, how yeah. we're your privacy engineering solution. But I'm trying to think like a brand that they would service, like a company that would service rather than like a privacy tech company. Mm. No one really comes to mind. What comes to mind first is like Apple gets a lot. They have a lot of goodwill by mm -hmm. the way that they've used privacy for their brand. Yeah. But on the other end, there are times where you're like, but you are selling our data for, the you're not selling it, but you are giving us ads for this or tracking us for that. But they have such a great story around the phone and how they yeah, made yeah. some of the features that they've got such great goodwill. Now, I, I, I think they have a good privacy by design program, but I haven't evaluated it. And I, it, but what they do come to mind and that's how you can show the power of privacy for a brand. Because when they had a major sna snafu, forget what it was. Maybe it was their CSAM issue or it was something where they got a lot of flack and they were able to rebound really quickly because they had such a strong privacy premise for marketing and PR to begin so, with. So what would it, what would it look like from the inside of an organization when implemented probably? I think I'm not sure. I think it could be done differently depending on the size of the org. Mm -hmm. Even just starting with a, gov a governing committee on like privacy, a shift left privacy, make it a cultural thing. I would even have someone from HR there because you really need to work on culture shifts and also work on upskilling and getting people's job, like their privacy be part of their job requirements, their KPIs, their how they're evaluated so that they care. Yeah. If they didn't already, then they should be incentivized to. So I would get a committee, get the head of engineering, get the head of security, head of, uh, their CPO, if you have a DPO, get all the executives there at the table, maybe even your C your CDO, you know, governance, mm -hmm. security, privacy, they all come from you know, that data inventory is so important for all three of those groups. And I would work there to create the plan of like what make, how, what are some of the ways just to brainstorm of how they could address privacy earlier in the process, yeah. not for compliance purposes. Like that's, they're probably already thinking about that. If they're not already thinking about that, it's okay to think about that there too. But like, that is not where you end. That's literally just so you're not done as a business. And then you want to see like, okay, what are the cost savings? How could we like, how could we address this stuff up front? Is it like we scan our, do a static code analysis of our code before we ship it? We do it with security. Why, why not do that with privacy? Mm -hmm. Or is it 
we have a bunch of privacy patterns. Here's, here's a bunch of libraries that the engineers could look at. And maybe they have to create the libraries. Maybe they buy something like a privacy code, which has a whole set of libraries that you could use yeah. uh, for your processes, for your organization. So I feel like it's about setting up processes. You're absolutely right to have pointed that out before. It's not just engineers. Mm. It's just not as sexy to talk about process. <laughs> I used to call myself a business process hacker because that's what I really think that <laughs> privacy is. You're looking at the flow of yeah. how information flows over multiple systems. Right? But um, yeah, I guess I'm trying to get away from my roots. Yeah. What, you um... need buy-in. It's the biggest thing you need is buy-in from above. If you don't have that, you're dead in the water as it is. Like. Mm. You just, you're just going to have a report at the end and it's going to be like, this is, you know what, maybe we'll get to this in, in, in three years on the three-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> what, what competences would a company like that have to invest in? Competences, I would say, because I did say like upskilling, but so I think data scientists, for instance, really mm -hmm. need to understand Everything around identification, anonymization, pseudonymization, you know, all the flavors, what they are, not just regulatory standpoint, but they need to understand strategies and tactics and the privacy enhancing technologies that enable them to do certain things. Like, there are things that need to be tweaked. Like to what level is, if you're doing, using differential privacy to what level of noise is okay. Like, these are all things that have to be, uh, I mean, there are some standards that exist, but they're going to be based on use cases and they're going to be, maybe you have to mix that with another privacy enhancing technology to achieve some level of not assurance, but, uh, you know, the, mm -hmm. the desired output that you're expecting. Yeah. So mathematically, right. And so these mm -hmm. things need to be set in policies and procedures. And so you would basically need to document these processes. You would need privacy engineers. Now, so there are two types. The kind I mean here is a privacy. You want to upskill engineers to understand the larger picture of privacy. What are the restrictions out there around products? Uh, maybe a crash course for them to really understand the world of not just regulatory snafus, but like what is expected of them within their role, right? Mm. So role-based privacy is super important. Your product managers are going to need to understand what kind of product requirements are okay, what's not. I think there are a lot of SOPs need to be written to document these things. Training is important, but I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't not, I, I, there's a difference between what I'm suggesting of upskilling mm -hmm. so that they can really achieve and do the job compared to just being like, here's your 30 minute, here's your annual compliance for privacy, your HIPAA privacy compliance or your, you know, and it tells you what to do with data and like, don't send a, don't click on a, on a malicious link. And like, mm -hmm. you're so past that, like, this is, that's just like, to checkbox compliance, which was yeah. really just compliance theater. And what I'm talking about here is actually what what databases uh, structures should you be using f to achieve X, Y, Z? These are things I don't know. There are some great books out there. Mm -hmm. I, I just happen to have this one on my desk. Uh, but <laughs> Nishant Bajara's Data Privacy Book, yeah. a run book for engineers. That one's really, really good for like, okay, I've been tasked with creating a DSAR system what do I do? And what do I need to know? Really is a good run book. I'm sure more books are going to be out there. There's a great book called, it's called data. It's about uh, practical data privacy by what's her name? Jarmal. Oh my God. I'm going to kick myself. <laughs> Can't think of her name right now, but we'll maybe find it and put it in data. the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what, what you do in podcasts? Yeah. <laughs> to Catherine. Oh my gosh. I'm going to my episodes here. Just, we can't not have her name. I just, Okay, we'll figure it out. Oh, Catherine. Yeah, Catherine Jarmel. 
There you're from ThoughtWorks. Her book is excellent, especially for data scientists on not just like, here's what the privacy enhancing technology is, but here are here's your like tech stack for it. Here's the yeah. what some problems you might encounter and how to get around that. Here's some context as to why this is important. And uh, data scientists who speaking to other data scientists. And I think that's the kind of delivery that we need is experts brought in to to upskill their own kinds, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so basically <laughs> to uh, to us lawyers and privacy pros who can't code if they put a gun to our heads. It's really about getting in earlier on and making, helping make decisions on policies before anything is produced instead of dotting the legal I's and crossing the legal T's at the end of the process. Yeah, yes. So it is that. And I guess I would say that it's, you want to, so there's, so the rise of privacy tech created the tech, the -hmm. privacy tech back yeah. landscape. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, there's the data life cycle, which we're used to the privacy data life cycle, where mm-hmm. collection, use, sharing, storage, retention, you know, kind of thing, deletion. But shifting left means into the development life cycle. So yeah. you're talking about your training, uh, let's say of AI training, right? Or uh, requirements phase, the design mm-hmm. phase, the build phase, verification, production, incident response, like that development life cycle. So it's pretty much in the technical sphere there. But it doesn't mean that like we can't understand it. I am an English major with a, a law degree that I've mm-hmm. never practiced law and then completely just operationalized privacy. But I went yeah. deep yeah. into security as well. And I love tech. So I go dive really deep. And then I, I like to come back up and then look at the overall um you know, bring things together for people after diving deep and learning some lessons. (laughs) And so I think that there's still a role for people like us that are, uh, that are not like, I'm technical. I guess that's what I want to say. Like we are technical where I just say that I'm not applied, an applied technologist, Mm -hmm. but I'm a technologist. And I think there's absolutely a role for us, especially around strategy and product, you know, project management, advising on requirements. There's so much around that. We don't have to be the ones like mm. literally building the pipelines and stuff in order to be valuable in adding to the development lifecycle phase. But we also have to be honest that I'm never going to be configuring a server or <laughs> like, training an algorithm personally, you know, unless they make it super easy through some interface. Yeah. But that's just not where I choose to, to learn to spend my time. Mm. Like I, I just have my own high level perception. Yeah. But our value there is still important. It really does take all many minds to come together to understand and to properly address privacy. Mm -hmm. What are the sort of the first one or two steps a company or an organization should take to move in this direction, you think? I haven't really thought about that. Let's see. <laughs> Sorry for the what do you tough think? questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't throw it back at you. Uh, I think you first have to understand, have some sense. You know how we, in privacy, we do data flow diagrams to mm-hmm. under, 
or I used to do I used to do this manually and then put it in Visio and whatever. But when you want to sit there and create a flow of data, here I feel like you need to like pull back even further and to understand the design, the system development process mm-hmm. within the organization, yeah. and then understand you know you want to come to the table with a, a bunch of things like first, what are the processes we have today, yeah. and then where do we want to get to, it, it, or where can we get to, and then you want to kind of roadmap out like maybe how you get to point from point A to point B, what funds you need, how you want to staff it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how I would do it because you could really utilize wherever security has already has some sort of gate where they're like, oh, you've got to do a security review. It's a perfect time to add a tiny privacy review to the security review. Or when you kick this this scan off, you also kick this scan off. Like there, because there's less resistance because there's the product teams and developers are going to already make time for this process, understand the process. It doesn't feel like an ad, you want to make it so it doesn't feel like an added load. So where can you like slip into some other workflow and then have some wins? And then where do you have to create complete new processes and your systems? And then where do you have to tear down old architecture to create new architecture? I think that's where you would get the most resistance. Yeah, Because it's just, you're going to have to really make the business case to tear down something that's still making money. You've made a big mistake there Deborah you asked me what I think so now you got me thinking <laughs> oh I actually did I make a mistake yeah you made it you, it's always a mistake making me think I, I think it's very much also very much I, I agree with what you said but it, I think it's also very much a cultural question in, in in the sense that I think you talked about this being this should come from the from the top I think really a company needs to, uh, the leadership of a company really needs to understand that privacy is important to them. Otherwise, I I don't really see it being a a true culture in a a company. That you can actually, that you view privacy as something both important and uh, something that you could leverage for, uh, for business purposes as well. And something that you could but it's the, what, that you can leverage purposes? for business purposes. That, right. That, that is right. both important and something you can use. So to speak. yes, it's important to customers or individual customers, customers or whatever. Mm. So therefore, it wasn't as apparent how important or how much loss of privacy we would have back yeah. when, like these business web two was in its heyday. Um, now people they don't understand it necessarily but they are fearful of companies and mistrustful especially in the world of disinformation now it's like they don't even know who to trust for what so it's just getting worse in that but so their privacy radar or or their need for assurances is higher and it's so it's those assurances that can be a uh, make a company you know have a leadership role to show, oh, look, we respect that you care about privacy so much and not just say it in their privacy policy, but show it through an assurance level uh, that, you know, uh, or through mathematical proof, like, you know, uh, somehow or proving it through a a good customer experience and. and Coming to a close here, why are you in, in, in privacy? What makes you get out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I've always had a really strong sense of justice and in threaded in like looking back on my career, like why privacy, part of it was just luck that I took 
in 2004, I took privacy law with Professor Paul Schwartz, literally the guy who wrote the book mm -hmm. on like a legal text on um, teaching law students and um, really found that it's mostly statutory based. And I really enjoyed that. This is just past the you know, dot bomb era. And I really wanted to get into tech because it was booming. And I thought it was really interesting. I'd never get bored because you would just have these new fact patterns, but the statutory language. So you don't have to go and like looking up case law and stuff like that. And then in hindsight, I really feel like I gravitated to, so it was definitely that, but I gravitated to it because privacy is really a subset of autonomy. And there's just something about something about that really moves me. I feel like people should be who they are and not restricted mm. to being who people want you to be. And a little bit of rabble rousing in me is, 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 is wanting to hold some companies accountable. So early on, you know, you were stuck do it, not stuck, but the privacy rules were mostly compliance rules. And so mm. the amount of change that you could effectuate was a lot less. Yeah. But over the past 18 years, it's changed. We still have a lot of the privacy rules being the big companies <laughs> that maybe aren't even like privacy forward. But I do hope that changes. That's why I, I really, the shift left movement, besides just being all around good call, mm. it feels good. It feels good to wake up every day and say that I've, I'm helping people with their privacy, their autonomy, their freedom, their ability to gain control over themselves. Yeah. That is a very fine note to end on, Deborah. <laughs> I, want every, I want everybody who's listening to check out your cast, the Shifting Privacy Left podcast. I'll put, a, I'll put a link in the show notes, but I guess if you're actually listening to this in a podcast, you'll probably be able to make a simple search in your podcast app and find it, the Shifting Privacy Left podcast. Deborah, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jacob. You've been listening to Sustainable Compliance. I'm your host, Jakob Larsen. See you soon.